morning, everyone. Hey, like Matt said, our reading is from Acts 20, starting at verse 13 through to the end of the chapter. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Asos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us at Asos, we took him aboard and went on to Mytilene. The next day we set sail from there and arrived at Chios. The day after that, we crossed over to Samos and on the following day arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia? I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, and in the midst of severe testing by the, lot, by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come among you and will not spare the flock. Even from their own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit to you, sorry, now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing, and you yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, 
remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. Um, contrary to what the bulletin says, today, Year 6 to 8, are staying in as a special treat as we hear Gibson present the word. Thanks, Gibson. All right, good morning, everyone. Um, I'll just get... Oh, there we are. Good morning, everyone. Um, so, um, I'll just get set up, um, and then we'll get started. Um, and as we start today, um, let's pray um, that God would speak to us through his word. Our Heavenly Father, as we open your word... Please change our hearts and minds and point us towards Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, when I think of goodbyes, I think of movies. And two examples come to mind. And this first one, so long, partner. Woody says goodbye to Andy. I'm sure you all cried a bit of a tear when that happened in Toy Story 3. Or the second one, you cannot win, Darth, if you struck me down. I should become more powerful than you ever possibly imagined. That's Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars Episode 4. Now, we remember the last words of these characters from these movies, and we have a similarity with people that we have in our own lives. We attach great importance to them. Like someone goes on a long holiday and you want to give them good advice before they go. Or someone finishes up at a workplace and they give a leaving speech about their time there. Now, Woody in Toy Story describes his owner, Andy, as a partner. And this is what he thinks about Andy. He values him of great importance. And we see this after Andy leaves. His demeanour and the way that he treated Woody impacted him greatly. Now, if any one of us were to leave this church, this area for good, what would people say about us? What would they say we were about and would it reflect us as a person? And in our passage today in Acts chapter 20, we see Paul give a goodbye to the Ephesian elders. In verse 38 it says, What grieved them most about his statement is that they would never see his face again. So what does Paul think that should be thought of him? What impact has Paul had? And why does Luke, the writer of Acts, want us to appreciate this long farewell. And as we look at this context for Paul's farewell or goodbye, we see the reason that Paul was so loved by the Ephesian elders. And this was because he was an imitator of Jesus. And we're following along with our um, sermon outline, we're at point one. Verse 13. We went on on ahead uh, to the ship and sailed for Assos. We were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us at Assos, we took him aboard and went to Mytilene. The next day, we set sail from there and arrived at Chios. The day after that, we crossed over to Samos and on the following day arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem 
if possible, by the day of Pentecost. Now, this section of Acts continues with the second half of Paul's third missionary journey, and he has just come from Troas and is heading back towards Jerusalem. And if you have a look here on the screen, the uh, orange oval is our visual aid for what this section of the journey looked like. We firstly see, I mean, this section that Paul doesn't begin travelling by sea, as Luke, the writer of Acts, includes this small detail. One suggestion uh, why Paul didn't uh, go by sea was that he wanted to spend more time in Troas, speaking to those he made connections with to further strengthen the believers there. And as Paul and his travelling companions make their way down the west coast of Asia, we see a few ports and cities mentioned in verse 14 to 16. Now, one key detail of this journey is that Paul and his companions end up in Miletus. Now, rather than heading to the familiar territory of the Ephesians. Now, Paul had spent three years in Ephesus, so he'd been there a long time, and he'd made many long-term connections. But as we saw in the later half of chapter 19 a few weeks ago, there was a riot from an angry mob, which Paul didn't want to get caught up in. And in order for the good news of Jesus to continue to spread, Paul didn't want to get caught up in that city again. So he chose to encourage believers from a town nearby. And we see this in verse 17 of our passage. Now, not only was it going to be a possible risk for Paul in Ephesus, but he was also in a hurry to reach Jerusalem by the day of Pentecost. Now, the ESV translation um, trans, uh, reinforces the urgency of this by saying that Paul was hastening to be at Jerusalem. Now, if Luke, when writing this chapter, forgot verse 16, would he really miss anything? Is this just like a passing verse that we can just ignore? Well, it isn't. This verse includes uh, that he wanted to get to Jerusalem quickly or that he was hastening to be there. He wanted to get there for the day of Pentecost. Now, Pentecost, or the Festival of Weeks, found in Leviticus 23, was a Jewish celebration for God's people. And this was when they celebrated the beginning of the wheat harvest. And in Acts chapter 2, for the day of Pentecost... It was when the Holy Spirit came down on the believers, enabling them to speak in different languages for the proclamation and advancement of the gospel. Paul wanted to be a witness uh, to both the Jews celebrating the Old Testament festival, um, as well as to remember what God had done in Acts chapter 2. And Paul made it a great priority to be there with the believers. And he did this despite what challenges lay ahead. And we see this in verse 22. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the news, good news of God's grace." Now, Paul knew what could happen if he went to Jerusalem, but we see that he wants the good news of Jesus to continue to spread as he seeks to accomplish his task. Now, if we compare Jesus' own mission as he headed towards Jerusalem with what we're learning about Paul here, there are striking similarities. Jesus resolutely headed towards Jerusalem for the celebration of Passover. It should have been a joyous occasion, but he went knowing that he'd face persecution instead. 
Paul now resolutely heads towards Jerusalem for the celebration of Pentecost. It should have been a joyous occasion, but he, he went knowing that he'd face persecution. Jesus would complete the task set before him, becoming the sacrificial Passover lamb, so that you and I might be forgiven for our sins. And Paul, in a similar manner, would complete the task that Jesus set for him, considering his own life worth nothing, in order to see the Jews and Gentiles hear the good news and repent. Now, this is all good to say, but what does Paul imitating Jesus have to do with us? We didn't get a special vision from Jesus, or we don't have any apostolic authority. But just as Jesus commanded Paul to be committed in completing his gospel work, he commands us to do the same. Luke 9.23. He said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. And Paul also tells us to follow in his footsteps from 1 Corinthians 11. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Following Jesus is not a half-hearted effort. It's not just when it feels good, nor when it's easy to. And sometimes it's hard and tiring. So it requires serious commitment. Now, I like to think about uh, a picture of being resolute with bacon and eggs. A bit strange, I know. Would you believe that there's no two ingredients with bacon and eggs? Both bacon and eggs. But they come from two different parties. Eggs come from a chicken, while the bacon comes from a pig. The chicken, although a valuable contributor for the meal through the means of an egg, gives up nothing in comparison to the pig. The pig gives up his life for the meal. He's committed. Now, with this analogy in mind... Are we committed to imitate Paul as Paul imitated Jesus for the good news of the gospel? So Paul wants the elders of the church of Ephesus to remember and talk about his commitment to the gospel. But why does he keep reinforcing this? Now, it's not only because they won't see him again, but because of wolves from verse 26. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Now, Paul worked tirelessly to ensure the Ephesians were grounded in the good news of the gospel. He has testified to them about the good news of God's grace, and he tells them that he has done his best to ensure that they remain grounded in the true gospel, which he describes here as the whole will of God. Now, it's interesting here that um, Paul just doesn't say that he proclaimed the will of God. Rather, he proclaimed the whole will of God. He didn't leave out parts um, that people might not like. Rather, he told them the whole message. And this was because they needed to know what God had done for them so that they could stand against the wolves that were coming and exercise their discernment. In verse 28, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Paul charges the Ephesian elders to have a specific role in watching over the flock, which we know is the congregation. Now, it's helpful to note here that the word elders can be used interchangeably, and it can be used with overseers, ministers, 
and pastors. And before he tells uh, these pastors to keep watch from wolves, Paul mentions the reason why they should do so in, in the half, second half of verse 28. Now, the congregation as well as the pastor is described as the church of God, which Jesus bought with his own blood. And it's important to highlight here the unity that we have with the Christians in Ephesus. They are not just a church of God, but rather they are the church of God. And we are the same church of God, purchased by the blood of Jesus. All of us belong to God and are in his family if we trust in Christ. Continuing in verse 29. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth. In order... Sorry, I've lost my, lost my thought. Uh, in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you day and night with tears. So after being told that the true gospel has been given to them by Paul and that they should have no excuse not to believe it, in verse 26, uh, Paul gives them... In verse 29, Paul gives them this warning, that savage wolves would come and destroy the flock and draw them away from the true gospel. All throughout the New Testament, we see this theme of false teachers coming to destroy the flock, as it was a huge issue in that time, and it is still a huge issue today. Now, one of the reasons why Paul was so eager to tell the Ephesian elders about this was because the false teachers preached another gospel, something vastly different to Paul himself. And we see this in comparison of verse 20 and verse 30. It says, You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but that you have taught publicly from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Now we compare this to verse 30. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Now, while Paul preached the whole will of God and had no hesitation, these false teachers distorted the truth and they didn't preach the whole message of God. And because they don't preach the whole message of God, people would be drawn away from the truth, as it may have seemed more positive or enticing. And just like Paul... Jesus himself warned about these wolves coming in Matthew 7, verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Just as there were false teachers in the day of Paul and the Ephesians, uh, they look like wolves, or they look like sheep, but outwardly they are wolves. Those who preach Jesus... Those, those who preach this Jesus preach a different gospel. Now, a few examples um, of these types of gospels. The prosperity gospel, where you'll be rewarded with health and wealth in this life now, if you follow Jesus. Or the teaching that we can earn salvation by ourselves, that we don't need this thing called God's grace, because there's still some good in us, despite having all our sin. Now, we know that both of these are absolute rubbish, and because they're not in the Bible. 
God saves us not to be wealthy in this life now, but to serve him with the sure hope of heaven. And we know that we're saved by his grace and mercy, not because of what we do. So flee from anything that looks like this. Run from it. Because Paul warned the Ephesians to do so. And he did this with tears for three years. It's a long time to flee from it. And we should do the same. Now, so far, we've seen Paul's charge to be more like Jesus, as well as his encouragement to stay away from false teachers. But what really underpins the whole message that Paul preaches? Coming back to verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now, Paul's ministry is based on God's grace. It's what he's testifying about. It's what he is shaped by. So much so that he's willing to give his life up for it. And we see that his life is shaped by grace too, as the gospel works powerfully through Paul. Verse 32. Now I commit to you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. One of the impacts on Paul because of the gospel is that he is able to be built up. And all the Ephesians can be built up and encouraged too. This is because the inheritance is for all who embrace the gospel and are sanctified. The gospel is good news that we as sinners were separated from God because of our sin, but now we can be in right relationship with him through faith in Christ. And through God's grace, we now have an inheritance that awaits for us in heaven, which is eternal life. Now, God's grace also changed how Paul lived. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words that the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. Paul, as a result of knowing God's grace, lives for him and all that he does. And Paul's genuine care for others is through the supplying of needs for others and himself. And this is because of the powerful work of the gospel in his life. And Paul sums it up with a quote from Jesus, saying that it's more blessed to give than receive. And this shows the servant-heartedness of Paul's ministry. Now, this quote is not found anywhere in the Gospels from Jesus, but it's most likely that Paul received this quote from the disciples who would have been in contact with Paul throughout his missionary journeys. And not only did Paul talk about himself living out God's grace in the past, but we see Luke record here that both he and the elders live it out in the present. And they do this through prayer. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. Now, as some of you know, I'm trained to become a maths teacher. Any maths teachers? Yeah. Woo. Uh, but to teach maths, you sort of need to understand it. And to be honest, it's a bit of a hard slog. Now, if I graded, graduated with a maths degree, 
and then decide to teach art, no offence art teachers, I wouldn't be using what I know effectively. And the same thing goes for God's grace. If we know that we've been given an inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade, then we should show it in all that we do. So what we've seen today from our passage is Paul's final farewell or goodbye to his close friends at Ephesus. And in his farewell, we've seen similarities to that of Jesus as Paul was heading resolute towards Jerusalem. We've also seen that Paul wants the Ephesians to be aware of wolves and false teachers. So as he has warned them to stand strong in the faith. And just as we've seen, Paul has shown the impact that God's grace can have. And through the partnership of the Ephesian church and Paul, we're able to see the effectiveness of biblical gospel ministry. And this biblical gospel ministry is the same for us. It helps us to imitate Jesus and exercise discernment and know God's grace. Say it again. Through biblical gospel ministry, we're able to imitate Jesus, just like Paul, exercise discernment, and know God's grace. Now, two implications for us to finish. We have seen in our passage today that Paul warns about wolves coming to destroy the flock. But what are the characteristics that we as Christians should look out for? Now, it's not like these wolves in sheep's clothing walk around with a big sign attached to them saying, I'm here to deceive everyone. So how do we discern? The first characteristic that I think of a wolf is that they don't teach straight, blatant lies, but rather they distort the truth a little bit. They take the truth of the gospel and adjust it slightly to suit their agenda and draw masses away from the gospel. Now, I just looked up random uh, quotes from church pastors in America, and this quote came up. Our assignment has never been about what we can do for God, but what God can do through us. Now, it's true that God works through us to accomplish his purposes. That's the gospel. But we are to serve God in all we do, not as if God's a genie from Aladdin. He doesn't ser- God does not serve us as if we're higher than he is. Now, this is called a term called selfism. It's all about yourself. And it's massive everywhere today. And we all know that this isn't the truth. And to sum it up perfect- perfectly, when talking about selfism, a Christian rapper puts it like this. Selfism the fastest growing religion, they just dress it up and call it Christian. So don't be deceived by these half-truths. Rather, seek the full truth found in the gospel. And another way in which we can understand how wolves operate is through their character, not just through their teaching. It's possible to have a Christian leader who is technically theologically sound, but whose behaviour is not transparent. Paul, in our passage today, talks about his own behaviour as an example. And in verses 18 and 20, Paul starts by saying, you know how I lived. He's transparent about his actions and is above reproach in all things that he does. Now, he's not like a sneaky politician who is never transparent. 
and whose actions speak louder than their words. The same goes for those who proclaim the word of God to congregations. They must be transparent, above reproach. Not just telling people about God on a Sunday and then living in deep-rooted sin and selfishness during the week. Now, as you know, most of our ministers are currently on well-deserved leave. And as they're gone for a few weeks, why don't we just use artificial intelligence or computers to give us the sermon for the week? Now, although that'd be easy, uh, this is a photo of a, uh, an artificial intelligence sermon that happened in Germany. Now, they listened for 40 minutes as this computer preached to them, which I find is a bit strange. But why don't we just do this? What's wrong with this? We don't know what this computer is getting from the web. All this information that the computer could be getting could be from false teachers who outwardly do not show the fruits of the gospel. Now, when thinking about the character of their teacher, the behaviour is vital. Find people like Paul and then you're doing really well. Find people who look really different or an AI computer and self-serving and you're in trouble. Now, second implication, the culture of grace. Now, notice again how Paul gives a super compressed summary of the gospel with his overarching theme being grace. He mentions the word twice and also speaks of God himself shedding his own blood. If you ever find yourself at a church where the teaching seems top-notch and biblical, that's good, but you can't help constantly feel that you're not good enough or that you're not doing enough to be saved, that's no good. We can foster a good culture of grace when dealing with one another in how we speak to one another. And this should be coming from the front too, from our pastors and leaders. And most importantly, as we operate in grace, we do this because of the grace shown to us in Jesus. Amen.